I invite you to remain standing for the reading of Scripture today, which comes to us out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We read verses 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. Hear now the words of the Gospel. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, Follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit today. Lord, as scripture is read, as, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what it is that you are saying to us this day in your name. Amen. Today, uh, on this Palm Sunday, we continue our Lenten worship series entitled Renegade Gospel, The Rebel Jesus. And uh, we are looking at the ways that Jesus... Uh, and his ministry, his teachings were radical for the day and how they still apply to us in this day. This is a, a Bible study written by uh, retired Methodist pastor, Reverend Mike Slaughter. And, uh, and so the, the study thus far has come from a lot of the material that he did on this and it's uh, turned it into a sermon series for us here. And so we continue that series today with the way of the cross. Any airline enthusiast in here? Any, any, anybody just, uh, ha, not, 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 not the flying part necessarily, or, or the TSA security part, or the delays, or the mass part, but, but is there anybody else where, where aviation just slightly fascinates you a little bit? Am I the only one? Thank you, Missy. Michael. Uh, aviation has always just, I don't know. It, I've always wondered about it. And so uh, I've done a lot of some research and, you know, stuff like that and, and, and all this. And, and I discovered that if you were inside the cockpit of a departing airplane, there, there's a certain lingo that goes on. And, and just as you are about to take off from the runway, you hear the pilot, the captain, and the co-captain echo this phrase to each other. V1, rotate. <coughs> but what caught my attention is, is, is V1. What's that mean? Well, I looked it up. Uh, and I'm so glad you asked as well. But the, uh, the, the phrase V1 literally means the point of no return. The point of no return. Once the aircraft gets to the point of V1, it must take off. Now, 
As the airplane accelerates towards the runway, uh, or towards the end of the runway at this point, the pilot must decide, do we have enough speed? Do we have enough uh, clearance? Is everything working? Are all the gadgets in line? Do we have any errors? You know, and, and, and the speed at which they must get to is predetermined um, you know, by the weight of the aircraft, the size of the aircraft, the number of people on board, the speed of the wind, the temperature, the air pressure, how you hold your head whenever you're sitting in the seat, cockeyed, you know, whatever else they use to determine how the speed must be determined, that all must be t- uh, taken into account before they get to that point. And the pilot maintains a hold on the throttle as the plane approaches the, uh, the V1 speed. And, and as he gets to it, he must make a split-second decision whether to abort and stop or whether to take off. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we are called to have a V1 commitment in our walk with Jesus. We are called to have a walk where there is a point of no return and no looking back. Once we have placed our faith in Christ alone, we have reached V1. We are called as children of God to adjust to a cross attitude and apply full throttle and to take off into this relationship without the possibility of going back. On his way to Jerusalem, this is Palm Sunday, and as he was approaching the town of Jerusalem for the final time, Jesus knew that that his time was near. He knew that he was at the point of no return in his ministry. Jesus had faced temptation from multiple sides in his life, just like we do. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, and he was tempted with fame, he was tempted with honor, he was tempted with with having a possibility of having his own kingdom set up for him and there just for him to walk into. A turnkey situation where all he had to do was move in and the kingdoms were his. However, Jesus knew this was not his mission. This was not his plan. And he knew that for this dominion, he would have to pay a price that was too high a cost for him. The cost to give in to temptation for Jesus would be the cost of obedience to his Father's will. Jesus knew that unwavering obedience to God's kingdom mission would mean rejection from his own people, from other people, from the people that he would give his own life to save. As he... he, rode into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He rode into cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us now, rescue us. We seek your salvation, we do so now. But just days later, the same crowd that was yelling Hosanna, Hosanna would turn to cries of crucify him, 
Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Jesus knew that this mission meant isolation, persecution, torture, and even death. But Jesus still rode down the street that led to the fulfillment of God's plan for humanity. This is the juncture where we, we begin to grasp the full meaning of, of Jesus' humanity in addition to Jesus' divinity. Jesus the man experienced fear. Jesus the man experienced pain. Jesus the man experienced doubt. Even to the moment just before his death, Jesus cried out, even from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Following Jesus, listen to this, following Jesus <coughs> in the way of the cross means a resolute commitment to fulfilling God's mission no matter the price. Hello? It means a mission that lies between the two points of knowing from whom we have come and to whom we will return. The V1 point. The point of no return. Jesus knew all along. Listen to this. Jesus knew all along that his birth and we have learned that Christmas was and always was designed to be about the cross. Jesus knew that his birth was always about the cross. Here's the question for all of us today. When will we realize, too, that our lives, have and always will have been about the cross. Someone say amen. amen. Jesus' encounters with people in the final weeks leading up to, to his arrest, to his crucifixion, they illuminate the meaning of the cross and the cost that comes with following the cross of Jesus and obedient discipleship. In the scripture today, I know you were thinking, that's a weird scripture to read on Palm Sunday, but I promise I had a reason. <laughs> In the scripture today, Jesus encountered three different individuals. He invited all three to come on this journey with him, and their responses illustrate their own confusion about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The first man enthusiastically offered himself as a volunteer. 
In this response, we see the genesis of a problem, though, that is deeply rooted in the 21st century church. We come to Jesus so often, offering ourselves as volunteers rather than as servants. Pastor, what's the difference? Do I not volunteer my time? Does it not count for something? Absolutely, it counts for something. But here is the difference. Volunteers serve out of the convenience of their calendars. Following Jesus up to the point that it becomes just too inconvenient when it interferes with our lifestyle. Jesus' response to the man who was committing to be a volunteer and not an all-out servant was this. It is a challenge to our comfortable lifestyles that we have set up for ourselves. It causes all of us to take a step back and to say, Whoa. Wow. Jesus doesn't hesitate, as you noticed, if you've read any of Scripture. Jesus doesn't hesitate to challenge those lifestyles or the values that have become possessive idols in our lives. Jesus has no problem calling us out on that. The question then has become, why do we have a problem having it called out for us today if Jesus had no problem calling it out? I don't know about you, but I need people every week, sometimes daily, to call out my idols to me and say, hey, you're not just a volunteer. You are a servant. How many of us need the same thing? You know, it's so easy. Listen to this. If you hear nothing today, I want you to hear this statement. It's so easy to seek the gifts of God rather than the God who gives. It is so easy to seek the gifts of God rather than the God who gives. When thy will be done becomes my will be done, then we have avoided the gospel call to give our lives sacrificially in servanthood, not just volunteerism, to the world that God loves. Hello? Following Jesus in the way of the cross will mean for a lot of us a radical reordering of our priorities And perhaps an inventory of our lifestyle to say, where am I simply volunteering for Christ as opposed to serving Christ? The second encounter Jesus has here is with a man who asked to go and to bury his father first. Now, Jesus' response here seems rather harsh, does it not? But let's consider first the Jewish practice of burial, okay? We have to put his, his response into context. 
the process of Jewish burial in the day was not like we had today. It's not like what we do today for memorial services and funerals, okay? Where we just simply embalm the bodies or, or cremate or whatever the case may be. We have a service a day or so later. We have a casserole meal and we're done with it, right? That, that's today's typical practice. And there's uh, lots of others from that. That's just an example. Don't hold me to that one. But the Jewish practice of burial lasted anywhere from 12 months to 2 years. Okay? That's a lot of potlucks, y'all. <laughs> 12 months to 2 years. They, could wrap, they would wrap the body in, in spices, in myrrh, and they would uh, uh, place it in a temporary tomb, and that's all just part of the first stages of the process. They, they, they would get, then go through a minimum of seven different stages of mourning, each stage lasting a different time and being different for each person or family. So we have to understand why Jesus said to the man what he said. This wasn't just a couple of days, be done with it and get on with your life. This was a ritual that could have lasted for a couple of years. You know, there's another possibility that we should also mention when looking at Jesus' response here. We don't actually know if the Father has passed away already. We don't know, uh, uh, it, you know, it, there, there was no hospice care in, in the times of Scripture, so it was the cultural expectation of the eldest son in the family to take responsibility for the final care of the father and then through the extended burial process. So once the, 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 the father was even reaching close to the stage of death, the eldest son would have to take over daily and even to the minute of caring for his father. And who knows, again, the process of death is different for everybody. Who knows how long that would have taken. Regardless of the context that we don't know, Jesus is challenging the priority we place on our relationships when they become an, an excuse for not doing God's will. So his, his harsh response here is simply a challenge for us when we place our relationships with others ahead of our relationship with God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is relationships will not be considered an excuse for putting off tomorrow what God is calling us to do today. Do you know how hard it is to think about the idea of putting anything above your children? The harsh response of Jesus is a harsh reality for all of us today. There is nothing, no relationship in this world that can come ahead of our relationship with Christ. That's a hard reality to hear. I think we all need a collective deep breath just to process that for a second.
And that's what Jesus is saying here. In fact, giving Jesus first priority, actually, if we look at it, 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 makes, for, it makes for greater health in all of our relationships. It helps us to build unbreakable bonds with the people we care most about. Because whenever our relationships are comprised with three individuals instead of just two, with Christ being the center of our relationship, that creates a mesh that is hard to be broken. Putting Jesus first creates a healthier, earthly relationship system for us. When Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, he is actually referring here to those who are spiritually dead. Okay? He's referring to those who aren't dead in the physical sense, but to those who have been given the opportunity to go on this journey of the cross and who have openly denied it. Okay? Are you with me this morning? Say amen. amen. Spiritually dead means those... Uh, excuse me. Jesus' words refer to those who are spiritually dead. He says, stay away from them after they make that decision. You cannot follow the living God in the way of the cross and serve expectations of the spiritually dead at the same time. And that's what Jesus is saying. Third and final encounter. Jesus made it clear uh, that following Him that following God, that following the way of the cross is an all-or-nothing proposition. Either you're all in or you're not in at all. No part-timers allowed. The commitment to take up the cross, therefore, is an immediate response. In response to, to Jesus, Peter and Andrew immediately dropped their nets Matthew immediately left his tax stand. At the bidding of Jesus, Zacchaeus left his perch in the tree, his spectators' view from the back pew, and came down, quote, at once. How many of us are willing to drop everything at the snap of our fingers when Jesus comes to call in? I have to ask myself that one in the mirror often as well. But indecisiveness and putting off the decision to follow Christ are two of the most cancerous conditions that infect the life of the church today and what contributes to making Christianity more irrelevant to the general public, particularly in the eyes of youth, children, and young adults. We claim to be followers of Jesus, yet we fail to follow. <laughs> we claim to be children of God, yet we fail to act to each other as we are brothers and sisters. Hello? <laughs> we profess a cross without a cost. We have rumbled down the runway, and right before getting to the point of V1, <coughs> we simply abort the takeoff. Folks, the cross is more than just a physical object for us. It is a commitment to a radically different lifestyle. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian, once said this. He said, The cross is not misfortune and hard fate. It is instead the suffering that comes to us from being bound to Jesus Christ. The cross is not accidental, but necessary suffering. The cross is not suffering bound up with natural existence, but suffering bound up with being a Christian. Following Jesus, then, in the way of the cross means giving ourselves fully. It means giving ourselves sacrificially for the concerns of God's heart. In saying yes to Jesus, it is His cross we are lifting. It is His cause we are embracing. It is His life mission that we are supporting. Saying yes to Jesus is an all-out, all-in commitment to go where Jesus goes. It is an all-in, all-out commitment to do what Jesus does. And it is an all-out commitment to give what Jesus gives. Jesus gives his life for this world that he loves. How many of us are ready to say, Jesus, you gave your life on a cross for me. I am ready to commit my life on a cross for you. That's the question that we have to answer for ourselves this day this moment, this week, day in and day out. Are we really ready for that commitment? Are we walking in the way of the cross? I'm going to close out with uh, the rest and leave you with the rest of Bonhoeffer's words from where this quote came from. Bonhoeffer says this, Although we are not Christ, if we want to be Christians we must participate in Christ's own magnanimous. Everybody say magnanimous. We must participate in Christ's own magnanimous heart by engaging in responsible action that seizes the hour in complete freedom, facing the danger. How are, how are we? How are we committing to all that is entailed of the cross for the sake of Jesus today? This whole week is about what Jesus did for us. Now it's time for us to respond what we will do for Jesus. This is the gospel message for all of us as we prepare to go forward into this holy week, as we experience what it is that Jesus experienced, just a touch this week, and then as we come together next Sunday to celebrate the greatest achievement that has ever bestowed mankind, the achievement of the conquering 
of death by Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm already excited. You'll have to come and celebrate with us as we go this week preparing for the cross. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.